Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today's episode is all about writing and mental health. I'm Christopher Lee, and I'm hosting today with Becca Spence Tobias. We're happy to be joined by guest authors Tahani Nelson and Jay Danielle Dorn. How's everybody go? How's everybody doing today? Good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I have no complaints. And that's a relevant question for this for this issue for this episode. <laughs> right. It's one of the things I always ask everybody, or or, or if I get asked that, uh, somebody says, how are you doing today? I usually kick it off with, well, I have nothing to complain about, and most people wouldn't care even if I did. Nice. I might have to use that. <laughs> because, and I think that kind of speaks to the heart of what we're trying to talk about here on a mental health episode, is that there's a certain level of mental health that we don't address regularly. And that, that's I, I just think that's kind of an interesting facet uh, of what we're going to be talking about here with writing and mental health is is how much do we approach writing and and even our just general lives with a sense of compassion where we can understand other people's plights yeah totally and how often the only place where we can talk about it is twitter so (laughs) (laughs) or social media in general now we have this podcast instead. Um, I'll just start off asking our guests, how does your mental health affect your writing process? And feel free to um, just share as much as you're comfortable with and um, take that in whatever way and at whatever direction you want. Do you want to go first, Tahani? Or? Sure. Um, whether or not you actually have any diagnosed mental health issues, I think that the main thing most people end up dealing with when writing is imposter syndrome. Mm. I think... I think I've never met somebody that wrote that didn't have imposter syndrome. This idea that maybe we're not as good of writers as everybody wishes we were, or people are going to figure it out, or they're going to read what we've written and they're going to hate it. And (laughs) everyone I've met has dealt with that. And I think it's important to realize that you're not alone if you are dealing with that. But if you have other mental health issues at all, like I have uh, severe anxiety and depression and PTSD, So the idea that my brain is always telling me that I'm terrible is not just about my writing, but if you can learn to ignore it in one aspect of your life, then you can learn to ignore those little voices in other aspects of your life as well. And so there is a lot of hope. It's just difficult. Absolutely. (laughs) Anxiety is what keeps me writing, honestly. (laughs) Um, If you follow me on Twitter, pretty much every other tweet that I make is about being or living with mental illness as a writer. Um, I've been diagnosed with depression and been treated for it my entire adult life. And uh, a lot of the writing of my first novel was influenced by my um, alcohol dependence. So um, cleaning up and you know getting sober really was, that lent a whole other aspect to writing that I didn't realize <laughs> was out there. I, I, but I think the more that you are educated on what it is that you're dealing with, like especially the imposter syndrome and how that ties into whatever your, your depression or your anxiety knowledge what, what what is it how does it go knowledge is power something about i'm not very good with idioms knowledge is 100 percent power i i don't know if there's any other way that you can really approach life it's very interesting you guys bring some of this up and and i think writing is is such a key element in in addressing some of these issues that we all deal with um especially as creatives 
but we we tend to gravitate towards this industry or or industries that are similar or creative in nature simply because we have an intimate knowledge of some of these issues. That's fair to say. And it acts as a, I mean, it's a way of dealing with it for me. It's a way to get it out. But on the other side, how does it affect my writing process? I have anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder, which involves Mm -hmm. um, magical thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And so, (laughs) so magical thinking is basically the idea that the way, uh, for those who don't face this, the, that your thoughts can actually affect the world around you and not in a happy, I'm going to manifest things away. But when I think the wrong thing, it can cause things bad around me to happen. And your intellectual self knows that that isn't true, but that's still not what um, the afraid part of your brain tells you. And so, so much of writing is writing what's true and what's honest and what you're afraid of. But when your brain is saying, yeah, but by doing this, um, you're going to make it real. It can be pretty (laughs) terrifying. (laughs) Um, I feel like writers are sort of a superstitious bunch to begin with. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so um, (laughs) writing for me has almost acted like uh, a type of exposure therapy. So I think it's actually been really helpful for me. (laughs) I think that my ability to write about my different mental health issues, I've been a big person about not letting stigmas control my life. So I'm very, very active on social media with like, this is what my personal mental health issues are like. This is what I deal with my personal depression Mm -hmm. and learning how to write it out in like in words that everybody can understand, even if they don't deal with it themselves has been very, very, very important for my process. And it's where I've met a lot of people who wanted to reach out, but didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to talk about my various, uh, depressive episodes or my manic episodes or my PTSD just to break down stigmas just to prove that like it's okay to have mental health issues and to talk about them you don't have to feel like you're taking up emotional real estate all the time and be ashamed of that has really improved my writing and has made me less afraid to share anything else that I write because if I can write about something that that is that real and that terrible then I'm not usually as terrified about sharing something about like magic women in woods (laughs) I think that's an amazing point it's kind of wonderful how right the writing internet has also kind of become a safe place to talk about mental health issues I'm glad this generation in general has become more of a safe place to talk about mental health issues we have moved Mm -hmm. past the idea of for the most part moving past the idea of just locking people away in institutions and pretending that they no longer exist. And that's a good step forward, but writing is a huge part of that because we're finally able to explain how our minds work with words that other people can understand. Right. Oh yeah. Deinstitutionalization was a huge step forward for Western society in general, but uh, I don't, you know, I'm with, with that. I, I, I don't know. I still feel like there was a lot of shame and sort of pretending that it, you know, if we just ignore it, then the issue will go away from that generation. So I feel like social media, and I don't know if you, you ladies feel this also, that social media and just being able to you know, talk about what the day-to-day looks like as somebody living with mental illness. Like, I think that's helped a lot, especially for younger folks out oh, there. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, do either of you write characters who have mental health issues? Do I? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about them. <laughs> Let's see. I also do the the magical women, not so much in the woods. Um, I have written, and and part of 
the process that I was talking about earlier with my debut novel, um, one of the, the supporting characters in that novel ha- is a raging alcoholic. Yeah, so tell us about um, the process of writing that character. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fair warning, I don't remember like a good deal of writing the first draft of that novel just because of the state that I was in. Um, Then vice president of, what was it, marketing, I think. But he called me like pretty much right after I got out of rehab and was like, hey, I want to like work with you on this. And I'm like, (laughs) So the character that that had a lot in common with me as far as my, our relationship with alcohol went, um, he actually we had to we had to write him a bigger part. He didn't originally. We, he I think he died in the first draft. But having to like revisit the, that behavior and the thought process and how somebody can become so entrenched in addiction was helpful in a way. I, I think if I had tried to do it <laughs> farther in my recovery, it would have been um, you know a little too much. Mm-hmm. And um, now, now I've been doing a lot of shorter fiction just because of how my depression has been. I've have been struggling a lot with it the last couple of years. And all of my characters have either self-destructive tendencies or they just aren't, they, they don't have anybody in their lives who they can really talk to openly about their issues. Um, and what I want to do with my work is, is show how you really need community and, and like social support if you're going to be well, in my opinion. Mm. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm trying to build a body of work that supports that. That's if that wonderful. made any sense, I feel like I was just rambling. <laughs> totally made sense. Um, I found that I've written characters uh, accidentally who have mental health issues. So <laughs> I'm just writing you know, from a place that I know and from my understanding of the world. And then I'll send it to a beta reader and they're like, oh, I love that you're writing with somebody with severe anxiety. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that I was, I was just <laughs> writing some thoughts that are in my brain. <laughs> like, oops. I mean, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's definitely what I was going for. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> so you've experienced that as well, Tahani? <laughs> oh, my good heavens. Yes. It's my poor husband who is always my first beta reader, he's like, you know, that was a really, really good scene. And I remember it vividly from a Christmas party (laughs) five years ago. And I'm like, inaccurate, sir. That came out of just my head. He's like, I'm pretty sure it did not. And and, uh, like, he knows me much better than I know myself so much of the time. And one of the main characters in my current work in progress uh, has severe PTSD from the actions of the first book. So I feel bad that I'm the one that did that (laughs) to them. (laughs) And now they're suffering because of my actions the first time around. But it is what it is. They have to face it. And their actions will be what allows them to overcome and and live with the horrible things that happen to them. Unless I kill them in the last chapter. We'll see. I think that's absolutely <laughs> fascinating to honey. I feel like we always draw from our own experiences. And and that's it's amazing because writing can be such a therapeutic way of dealing with some of these mental health uh I don't really like to call them issues because I feel like it's just it's a part of who we are in some cases, but it's a way of, of really facing some of these demons that we have, to use a much stronger term. <laughs> I can't use issues, but I'll use demons. Right. <laughs> Not issues, demons. 
Right now I'm writing a short story about a woman who goes into the woods with the intent to end her life. And she finds the branch that she had got her, mm. her, her heart set on, so to speak, occupied by somebody else already. Um, it's, I'm, I'm writing the horror genre, so I apologize. <laughs> um, but I, I started writing that because I had been in a funk for so long where mm-hmm. I wasn't producing anything. I My depression is literally debilitating. Like the government pays me to stay home and not cry <laughs> in front of customers. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, I'm never going to write again. And I've published like four short stories in the last year. So I don't, it's, it's amazing. The negative yeah, magical thinking or the, the cognitive distortions that our brain is capable of, of inflicting on us in these moments. Mm-hmm. But I, I started writing that story because I got so angry at like my brain and just the, the various um, um, illnesses that I deal with that I just started like spewing this onto the page. It, it's like, I'm just going to like, I'm going to kill my depression you know? That's how a lot of us, I think, work through whatever our brain is trying to go through that we don't cognitively understand. Sometimes you just have to throw as many words as you possibly can on a page and mm-hmm. hope that six of them make sense. Absolutely. Yes. And depending on what genre you write, your mental demons can be actual demons that you can decapitate. Ooh. There is nice. a very healing aspect to it. When you write a character that is so close to home, where it feels like it's you on the page, to a certain extent, when that character wins that battle, you've won that battle at the same time. And that is super exciting. I think that's something that, that doesn't get talked about enough when we're talking about how writing can impact your own life. If you write children's books, I would suggest a different approach. <laughs> <laughs> So on the flip, it totally can be healing, but on the flip side, have any of you experienced the opposite where these tough, sometimes traumatic things that you're writing about affect your real life mental state? So for example, I just wrote a very traumatic scene about child abuse and then my anxiety was super high for the next two days. I don't mean to make jokes. I, I, I am an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that <laughs> my twenties and my my attempt to to write my way through it without any sort of therapy or like the, I'm sure that didn't help, especially since there is such a romanticization of um, mentally ill mental illness as as it pertains to to writers. Mm. Yes, you know, um, I feel like those of us who manage to be somewhat successful it's in spite of having these illnesses and, and yeah. not because of them yeah uh, but yeah that would my my 20s were pretty much oh i'm just gonna sit down and i'm good my process was i i would just drink and write and drink and write and then i'd read what i wrote in the cold light of day and be like my god <laughs> so, you, so you don't prescribe to the hemingway drink uh, and write and edit sober <laughs> Maybe have a therapist if you're gonna go that route. Is it would be advice. Nice advice. <laughs> go over what you wrote with your therapist and be like, man. <laughs> well, that was my next question. Actually, is how how do folks feel about that idea of the tortured artist? It sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Say more. The the trope of the the tortured artist or uh, the alcoholic writer or not these these things are very romanticized by a lot of people as well. And that's not very conducive to moving past it as a, as a society. It's mm-hmm. so easy for somebody to be like, to speaking of a, a, a writing group and somebody in the circle says, 
I I can only write if I drink. And everyone's like, yeah, well, Hemingway did that too. You're going to be absolutely like, that's normal. And it's not. Like, that doesn't help. That it's, it's almost expected and not looked at something that we can help other writers through rather than being like, yeah, good for you. Keep doing that. I want to read the next book. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'll admit, um, I thought about it when I made the decision to start taking anti-anxiety medication. Mm-hmm. I I thought, is this going to make my writing worse? Am I not going to be able to write with as much emotional depth? Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that I overcame that because I think that my writing is just is clearer emotionally, actually, because I'm not coming to a place that's fogged. But it, I definitely thought about it. I think it's also kind of frightening that so many of us have been on medications for depression or anxiety or PTSD or anything else for so long that we actually don't really know anymore what our emotions or what our our personality is like without those things. Right. And so there's part of us that like, can we even relate to people on an emotional level if we're coming from a place that they've never been? And that's, Mm -hmm. again, imposter syndrome. Like it's, it's, of course you can relate to other people. You relate to people every day, but it is terrifying to think that maybe things are coming across differently just because we've always experienced them differently. And then when you start a new medication, like when I uh, finally started on a medication to help with my manic episodes, I was really concerned because I got most of my writing done on the 52 hours I was awake. Oh, totally. And so I'm like, oh, if I start sleeping, I'll never write again. And it turns (laughs) out that wasn't true. (laughs) But I was very concerned that I wouldn't write anymore because I wrote when I didn't sleep, which is often. Right. Yeah. And uh, I I was, yeah, 31 when I went to inpatient for uh, alcohol addiction. And after I got that under control, I was like, all right, now we get to tackle all of the things that caused you to drink. And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I drank because I didn't want to be, you know, I have all these issues that I'm still working on. But sorry, not issues. Uh, (laughs) issues not demons yeah because there's it's so much easier if we use the word demon right yeah i don't know what i was thinking when i said that oh my god (laughs) you can edit this right oh no yeah we we do we do (laughs) (laughs) the hell was i saying all right yeah um i'm still relatively young and and it was frightening for me to be like all right. Well, not only do I have to like learn how to be out in the world, uh, not schlockered, but like I have to learn how to write again. And I have to, I had, I felt like I, mm-hmm. like my all the time that I had been drinking was just, it just like was gone. And that's not true at all. I had a, I, I had a lot of awesome experiences in spite of that again. And learning how to live with. That's how I feel about it now. Um, it's not so much that I'm going to vanquish my depression or my post-traumatic stress. I may relapse again. I've relapsed a couple of times, actually, um, because progress isn't linear. You know, you don't wake up and go, yes, I'm cured. I'm not cured. Like, I have fibromyalgia <laughs> now on top of everything else. Um, so it's more like my demons just are sitting on the couch chilling in the morning and I'm like, yo, you don't want to make coffee? And they're like, nah, you got it. We're here for you. <laughs> like my demons are just, they're, they're terrible roommates. 
progress isn't linear is such an important thing that I don't think people internalize as well as we should. Mm-hmm. Like it is okay and expected and normal and not the end of the world when you slide backwards. I'm not even going to say if you slide backwards, like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And oh, that yeah. is acceptable because there's no linear progress and that's and if like the things like even getting up and making coffee or going out and taking a shower is too much writing an entire chapter breaking things down into smaller chunks is a huge thing like even smaller than you're thinking i know that you're thinking like i can go make a cup of coffee but even the first step to making a cup of coffee is to standing up yeah like break it down into smaller Mm -hmm. pieces if an entire book is too much then Maybe a entire chapter is better. Or if you can't do that, which I haven't been able to do forever, mm-hmm. sit down and be like, I'm going to write 20 words. Mm-hmm. And 20 words sounds like nothing, but it's 20 words you didn't write earlier today. It's 20 so. words more than George R.R. R. Martin wrote. Damn. Oh! <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired at J.R.R. R. Martin out of nowhere. No, like, I mean, I, I think... Tani, you speak to something that is incredibly important, not just as writers, but as human beings. And I think it's so important to understand that we revisit these issues, these demons, each and every day, and we learn from these experiences. And that is something that we can take into our writing on a very poignant level, on a a very fundamental level, that life itself is not linear. And as writers, I feel like we get a better understanding about this simply because we go through draft after draft after draft where, where it doesn't where it doesn't exactly stay the exact same that we always planned it to be and we have to revisit these things time and time again and we learn from them and it edifies us and it makes us better human beings by facing these things time and time again and learning those new lessons and i think that's just something that is so undervalued in in our own in this society in our own lives and and so thankful and grateful that you brought that up because it's just so poignant can we get that uh, like on on um, kitchen decorations I'll, i'd rather see progress isn't linear than eat love whatever <laughs> that really thing like- yeah <laughs> live love laugh that's what it is right sorry to anybody who's got live love laugh hanging in their kitchen somewhere she's not actually sorry i am so not sorry so i think this idea of it as not of progress as not linear is so important. And I love the parallel between that in life and that in the writing process. But I also think it's pretty interesting that story structure often is very linear. So like, we're often writing these character arcs where somebody is struggling with something and then they overcome it. And so Mm -hmm. I'm almost wondering if we're writing these characters with mental health issues with with demons, (laughs) do we have (laughs) the responsibility (laughs) to, um, to show that it's not linear or is writing uh, or is writing about progress, like a way of giving hope. But I, I don't know. We're artists. We're not like, you know, uh, our job or at least, I mean, I'm over in horror land where we make messes and then we just go, yeah, <laughs> <Job> done. <laughs> it's not like in children's lit where you have to have like left these small malleable minds with some semblance of hope. Um, <laughs> But no, I think like even in the inverse, like uh, looking through the dark mirror, if I'm writing somebody who's self-destructive or they are engaging in these behaviors that are going to end up with somebody, you know, flayed or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, literally dancing with their demons and going, ha ha, I'm everything's on fire and I'm cool with that. Like I need to have set that up so that that's obviously not 
something I'm endorsing, you know? Um, and I like to, I like to show that there are paths that that person could have taken and maybe recognized for a split second and then went, you know, like Mm -hmm. they could have called their, whoever their support person is, or they could have like gone, I don't know, to the park or like a meeting or, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, some, some place versus these dark, horrible, you know, the alleyways of madness. I don't know what else to call them. It's like, you're going, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Or like, there's light available to me and I'm just gonna, like, I, I I at least try to make it obvious that what these characters are doing on their way to a bad ending you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's not inevitable. You can't you can't telegraph the ending for for the audience, right? Correct. <laughs> and even if progress is not linear in the real world, in books especially, there's only so many pages you can actually have at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. So having them fall like have a more realistic look at something, and they they make some progress, and then fall backwards, and make some progress, and fall backwards, eventually your reader is going to be like, please just end this. Like, please just finish and get there. We know that it sucks. Like when you figure that out the second time you did it, just mm-hmm. we need. So, I mean, with writing, I don't know if it's possible to have it as realistic as we would like. I think you're probably right for the most part. Um, I think John Green, actually, now that I'm thinking of it in uh, Turtles All the Way Down, did a pretty good job of showing that it wasn't like, a happy ending with it. I think there was an epilogue where his character with OCD, um, it showed that she had hard times after, and then she was kind of coming back as an adult to talk about, but now I'm as happy and I, as I can be. And I know that I might slide backward again, but blah, blah, blah. So. But John Green is also like a literary wizard. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, <laughs> again, no, this, this is also imposter syndrome. You will get told or you will tell yourself this all the time. Like, well, that's really great, but they're way better at writing than I am. And maybe they're not people out there. <laughs> Just maybe they're not. There's two, there's two really key points here. And one of them is, do we have, like Becky said, do we have a responsibility to do that? Yeah. I think that is determined based on what your aim is in writing this. If if you are attacking this particular story, you know, hypothetically speaking, because you want to get across a specific message about mental health or how we heal or resolve some of these issues, then yes, you do have a responsibility. However, if you are portraying people as they are on a daily basis, that responsibility is not quite the same. I think we all have a baseline responsibility that we have accepted ethically or morally that we are taking a hardline stance on. That that becomes something incredibly different. Yes. We can't expect this fantasy land where everybody has an an episode of healing that makes them 100% all the way better. Oh, totally. So the responsibility mm-hmm. is in portraying the accuracy of the process and the process itself is dirty, it's muddy, and it doesn't always come with that pretty ending. But I think our responsibility, too, is to make a good story. Can I say something that might anger a large chunk of writers Ooh, that are out there? And do it. I am so oh, sorry. Do it. <laughs> what I say has nothing to do with the opinions of writing block or any of its opinions. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially if you write romance, there are so many issues that cannot be solved with sex. And I don't oh. like 
how what? many tropes are pushed. I just, I can't stand it. Like, I'm like, a penis can't suck, like, it can't fix everything. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. You know, I want, the, I want the record to show. I want the record to show I yes. am a lesbian. And I, my apologies. I did not say, no. I did not say anything about penises. That was all Tahani. No. That was 100% me because the, the trope does often, does. not always, but it is almost always a broken female saved by a man and his magic parts. <laughs> and it's just, it bothers me because if in most of the uh, romance that I read that has two females, they find other ways of working through that emotionally first before magic parts become involved. Yeah, not with their fingers and, then, and tongues, folks. Yes, and that's, it's just, so I did 100% lay that all on the heterosexual romance genre, and I'm sorry, it just happens to be where the trope is most often. Mm. I'm immature. Have we tackled the question of, (laughs) do you think a writer needs to have mental health issues to portray them accurately and compassionately? Um, I mean, I guess it depends on, on, like, if the story would remain the same if the characters didn't have mental health issues, if that makes sense. Mm. No, I think specifically what we're saying is, is, does the writer have to have intimate knowledge, personal firsthand knowledge, of the specific mental health issue in order to portray that particular issue accurately and compassionately? I feel, I feel that, yes. Um, I'm not going to write about issues that I don't have any. From my own experience, I don't think that that is necessarily true, but most of the time it's probably safe to bet on being, um, safe. With any sort of, um, you know, representation of a, um, protected class or, a, you know, a, I don't want to say minority, but. You know, somebody who is disabled or mentally ill or dealing with a specific demon. I think that if you're going to write it and you don't have any firsthand knowledge about it, that you had better damn well do your homework. Yes. That's what I was going to say. I think that people are more than capable of researching a subject. I don't know anything about medieval politics because I haven't experienced it personally. Right. But you can research things. You can well, I can't talk to people that have survived medieval politics, but there's a lot of information out there. And you can talk to people that have uh, the issues you want to tackle in your manuscript. You can have your beta readers be people that have experienced similar things. Yes. And that's a that's a huge thing in a, a lot of writing circles is being like, hey, I have this protagonist who is dealing with this one particular instance that I have luckily never had to ish- deal with, but I want to do it justice i don't want to mm-hmm. i want to have that representation in literature but i might not be the best one to portray it can you read this passage and i've had people reach time, out people to me like, sorry yes. i don't mean to interrupt go ahead no that was it most people will say yes they'll be like yeah let me read it let me uh give you my personal experience it's like hey doran i got a character who's gay can you help me out and make sure that i'm not doing anything you know and i'll give notes or be like, hey, maybe you should go hang out at some more lesbian bars because what the hell was that? You know? Like, right. Yeah, I mean, be open to criticism and don't take the criticism as uh, a- as an attack. Yes, thank you. You're and I absolutely agree yeah. that that is relevant for lots of different kinds of identities. You have to do it well. Otherwise, you're going to end up 
with tropes like in the American dirt scandal or like Tahani saying with these exactly with these romantic tropes or your character with OCD is just going to wash their hands a lot and it'll be funny ha 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 or so you have to do it well or don't do it there's so many ways that you can do that yes if if you have uh say an autistic character have you taken the time to go volunteer and you know right place where you can understand and learn more about this have you put yourself to represent it in a way that is compassionate and that is the key is is compassion versus allowing yourself to be seduced by a particular trope and chris i think that brings up a very important point again that's relevant to writing about any identity um the idea of cultural appropriation are you going to benefit from writing about this identity without giving back to it so if you're going to make money off of a book about somebody with depression, are you giving some of that money to organizations that help people with depression um, <laughs> or whatever you're going to write about? I would, I would assume that most of us would want to engage in that sort of give back, particularly if we made it big. <laughs> <laughs> we got a Which, seven figure I mean, there's, there's a myth right there. Right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> like, who, who are these writers who are making money? <laughs> right. Yeah. Who, who are these people? I'd like to know who they are. so let's let's move on to to this one here and i think this is a really good one to to start to kind of wrap things up with with this topic what advice do you have for other writers who struggle with mental health issues oh where do you want me to start so much pressure we're gonna have to cut out at least 20 seconds of me just staring up into space and going i i mean so much of of this really is a great time to to um, be mentally ill in America. I think we <laughs> just because it forever was right. <laughs> You're like, what? What the hell are we talking about? Uh, no, I just I feel like millennials, which is the group that I belong to. Hey, we're we're just so open about how screwed up we are, and how we have no clue what we're supposed to be doing as just adults out in the world. But at the same time, we're also sort of like speaking openly about what works for us and what doesn't work for us. Like, I don't know. We, we don't sleep enough. We don't get enough to eat. We don't get enough socialization in. And now we're expected to be reachable by our employers, even when we're having downtime. So we still have a lot of work to do as a society. But I do feel like I, I live in New York State and there's been a lot of um, push for better um, infrastructure support of folks who are in crisis. Like there's numbers that you can call if you're like, hey, I'm really in a dark spot. And I don't know where to, to go to get help. Like, I, and I think that's key. I have been in some pretty dark spots in my life and um, having gone to school and studied psychology and worked in the industry and all of that, it wasn't enough because I didn't have the social support that I needed. You know, I, there have been times in my life where I wasn't going to therapy or taking my medication and I wasn't sleeping enough. I was drinking. Um, there's, it, it's a lot, but I think that being open about, you know, just going on Twitter and being like, yo, I slept like crap last night. I'll have people in my mentions going, yeah, me too. Uh, I need to cut down on this, this or that. Or like, yay, why don't we, have you had any water? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's so many times when a friend of mine will be like, I got a headache. And I'll be like, when's the last time you had water? Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, oh, snap. <laughs> right. 
the biggest advice I can offer anybody is one, make sure you take your medication. So if you're listening right now and you have not done that, do it now. You can pause it and then do that. Um, number two is I know mm -hmm. how difficult it is to afford a therapist or find the time for a therapist, even if you feel like you need one. And so much of getting through that as a society mm -hmm. is breaking down the stigmas that surround mental health issues. And a lot of that is going to be talking about it. The most uh, input I ever got from my therapist was just the, the reconfirmation that I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that's dealing with this. And for a long time, I had to go to a therapist to hear that. I had to be told, like, it's okay. You are not as crazy as your brain tells you are. You are not as weird as your brain tells you are. And then tells you that you are. And then now that I've taken to social media and just been like, you know what? This is what I live through. Right. Is anybody else out there in the same boat? And people are like, yes, please. Thank you for letting me know that I'm not like, that's what it is. If we can't afford support therapists, then at least standing together and mm -hmm. letting everybody else know we're not by ourselves is going to be the breakthrough we need in order to get through this together. So don't be ashamed of who you are, because at this point, this is not just things that we deal with. This is this is our personality. This is something that is part of us. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not ashamed of my depression because I I wouldn't be ashamed of diabetes if I had diabetes. It's not something that I could control. I don't have to be ashamed for taking right. insulin. Why would I be ashamed of taking my antidepressants? Yeah. And so talk to other people. Be Break down the stigma surrounding mental illness and be there for other people who are afraid to use their own voice. Because if you're a writer, chances are you have a strong enough voice and good enough vocabulary for everybody. Can you can tell you can tell which one of us is the fantasy writer. <laughs> Just because we write doesn't mean we can actually speak. There's a big difference for a lot of us. Yeah, that's because I uh, played that over my head a thousand times while Miss uh, Dorn was speaking. <laughs> and I made the joke at the beginning. You know, if you complain, well, nobody's gonna care or listen. It's not necessarily true. It's just a joke that I make often to to break the ice with people. But people are listening. Um, and there are multiple avenues within which you can have support. Um, I think it's it's an amazing time to be alive just because of that. I just want to say, um, not only are we listening, but we're cheering for you or speaking for myself. I'm cheering for you. Like if you're listening to this, <laughs> I personally am cheering for you. Um, literally, you can reach out to me on Twitter, wherever you find me. Why am I not following Reach you? out if... <laughs> If you need I just it. fix that. Yay. Awesome. Tahani and uh, Jay, tell us where we can find your work or where we can find you online. All right. Um, the easiest place to find me and anything that is associated with me is my website, TahaniNelson.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TahaniNelson, on Twitter, Twitter.com slash TahaniNelson, or Instagram, Instagram slash TahaniNelson. They're all the same. Tahani Nelson. Um, if you type that in somewhere, you're going to find Can me. Can confirm, just found her. By... Yeah, it helps how not having a lot of Tahani's on the, on the United States. But yeah, TahaniNelson.com, best place. All right. Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter. My handle is Big Dorn Energy <laughs> because I'm <laughs> not funny. Um, 
You can find, I'm starting to get an author website put together. Bless you, WordPress. Thank you for having me. Um, it is jdaniel, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E, Dorn, D-O-R-N. And this is, this is why I changed my Twitter handle because I had to, I have to spell that out every single time and I'm just, I'm tired. <laughs> um, .wordpress.com. I will have a short story out in Witchcraft Magazine on the Ooh, 19th nice. of Oh shit! This month. So, sorry, Grandma. I didn't. I just told myself I wasn't going to swear, and I did. <laughs> I love that you apologize to your grandmother. Like that's the sweetest <laughs> so thing wholesome. I've heard all day. When my novel was first published, um, my father <laughs> was like, "You know, I found your Twitter, and you, you know, your grandmother's very proud of you and happy that you, this is happening for you." But there's a lot of f <laughs> I'm sorry. Jamie's grandmother that I talked about sex with. Right, penises. My Italian-American grandmother is a saint. She has never had sex. <laughs> that is amazing. You're an immaculate conception. I, 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 my whole brain just shut down. <laughs> I love you, Grandma. I'm going to hell. Oh, I forgot to, I forgot to, pl- I forgot to plug my cat's Instagram. You can find my cat at Momo on Instagram. I want to thank everybody for being on tonight. Yes, thank this was you. awesome. <laughs> hey, man, anytime. <laughs> I want to say thanks for listening to the Writing Blog Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and hope that you subscribe to hear our future episodes. We release a new episode every other Tuesday. We want to thank all of the wonderful members of our Writing Block community. And you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at writingblock.com. That's no K on the end of that. That's L-O-C. <laughs> Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing. Go drink some water. <laughs> <laughs>